Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we are looking at the Psycho franchise, which currently consists of four films, a remake, a spin-off and a TV show. But what came first was the Hitchcock classic. It changed the face of cinema in many ways and has created a legacy and influence that is still being felt today. Not least with our very own Calvin, who cites Psycho as his favourite film. Paging Dr. Freud. This episode contains spoilers for Psycho, Psycho 2, Psycho 3, Bates Motel, the 1987 TV movie, Psycho 4, the beginning, Psycho, the 1998 remake, and then there are some very minor spoilers for the Bates Motel TV series that is still running, but not too much because we're actually not up to date with it. Enjoy! Hi and welcome to the show. I'm Calvin and with me are Sol. Hello. And Alan. Hello. And today uh, we're going to be talking about the Psycho film series. It was my decision to uh, do this for this episode, partly to tie in with the final season of Bates Motel, which is a show that's been running on the A&E network. We haven't mentioned on the show really, we haven't really done any Hitchcock stuff, but um, we haven't really gone into it any detail, but you're like a massive Hitchcock fan, aren't you, Calvin? Oh, huge, yes. yes. Yeah. And Psycho is a... It's like where the Venn diagram for your personal tastes meets, isn't it? Because it's Hitchcock <laughs> and slasher film. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, I don't, I don't want to maybe bring this in too soon, but there's definitely something I want to address Oh, it's here. not a slasher film. <laughs> no, not that. No, no, no. Alan's okay. going to talk about mother issues. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> been a while since i watched it and watching it again really reminded me of you calvin <laughs> well I, i've got to say I, I don't want to jump ahead of ahead of ourselves here but I, I i watched the sequels in preparation for this and i i actually had to marathon three of the films last night just to uh get them seen in time and i was watching i believe psycho 4 the the prequel and yeah, there's yeah. a very uncomfortable bordering on incestuous moment in that where the the mother and, and son are sort of rolling around and then it's implied he, he becomes aroused and she gets furious and starts beating him and putting him in a dress and and I just wanted to ask Calvin did you watch these films before you realised you were gay or because um, I'm just wondering if it factored into to your psychological makeup in any yeah <laughs> Well, oddly enough, yes. Uh, I saw the first one when I was... I remember I was 13 and it was one of the very first horror movies I saw. I was a very impressionable child and easily frightened. But I was really getting into Hitchcock around this time and everyone talked about Psycho and I watched the first one when I was about 13 years old and it scared me shitless. I was so terrified that Norman (laughs) Bates was going to come and kill me. See that's again, Calvin. You put yourself into the female role in in this in these things, <laughs> like like with with Bond. This is that's... well, Alan. He, he might have been imagining himself as the you know private eye, the the hard drinking, <laughs> hard hitting detective. You, you never know. Um, but now this is the difference between you and me, 
whenever I watched a horror film, and certainly an old horror film at that age, I, I was just looking to laugh at it. And I know yeah. if I had seen Psycho at that age, I don't think I did see it quite so young, I would have just been laughing at the the silly voice of the mother and the, the dodgy corpse at the end. Because I did that with most horror films that I saw back then. That's a defense mechanism, Sol. Yeah. No, 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 it wasn't even that. I was just, I was in the Laughing instead is. of crying. An arrogant youth. No, it's because I Putting the Muppet I song loved... on in the background to keep I, No, I mean, that, no, that, that was, that was different. The zombies, man, they're, they're bloody scary, those things. But when you hear the Muppets now, does it give you the willies? Oh. <laughs> Subliminally connected now. But I, I, um, I, I suppose what I'm saying is you, you were clearly more mature at uh, the age of 13 than I was. <laughs> Me? Oh yeah. So, Kelvin, were you, you, were you implying that when you were thirteen, you didn't know you were gay? Uh, well, I, I don't think I was thinking about such things. <laughs> well, thirteen, really? come on. Age thirteen, come on. Uh... <laughs> no, I what, only what, what age were you when you first? Um, oh God, diddled yourself. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, I'm so not going down this route. Uh, and what did your mother say when she caught you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how about you, Ellen? Me and Sol both sort of saw this film when we were like early teens. Do you remember your first experience with it? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I was in my late teens when I really started sort of getting into films and, and looking into them. And like, I bought one of those books that was like, 501 films to see before you die and so obviously Psycho is in all of those so it would have come up in that kind of role and obviously it being Hitchcock you know it's Mm. kind of really one of the top of the list of those films to see when you're just getting into film kind of thing I mean the the shower scene certainly is is a scene that is studied by film students it's one of those things I'd seen parodied so many times in so many cartoons and things kids shows Mm. as well that would do an almost plot for plot rendition of it at times mm. and I, I i do kind of watching it again last night just to re refresh my memory and my thoughts on it i i was sort of thinking it's such a shame i never got to experience this properly without you know because cause it's it, it, it's it's like this sort of coen brothers-esque way of making a film where it, it just takes a complete left turn and mm. Mm. i'm sure people were expecting a psycho in it but i See, it, i was really uh i i, I... I'm so happy that I saw it when I did because I was, apart from, I knew that there was a shower scene so I knew that Janet mm. Lee got killed off halfway through the film. That was the only thing I knew about Psycho going into it. That's a pretty big part of the twist and turn though, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah, it's a huge twist if you were seeing it fresh and knew nothing about it. She, The, the star of the movie dies. But I, I certainly had no idea where it was going to go after because they the whole like mm. first 45 minutes of the film are following Janet That's Lee. It. She steals money from her boss and travels across the country and then she's killed in the shower and the whole plot has been about this money that she's stolen so that she can get away with her boyfriend. She's sick of her life. And mm. then the money is just tossed in a swamp. Like Norman Bates doesn't even know that the money is there. It's like a plot device mm. that is completely thrown out. And then all of a sudden, as you say... They just pivot and the narrative goes in a completely different direction. Mm. Well, can I just throw something out here, right? Let's get this conversation started. Obviously, there's lots of things in Psycho that I like, and I think it's it, it feels to me like, uh, you know, a great director playing around a bit and like just experimenting. Mm. And the fact that yeah. it was done such low budget, like he obviously wanted low risk, he didn't want people kind of looking over his shoulder. He just thought, I'll, I'll just crank something out that's kind of a little bit interesting and do something different. And I think on that level it works. It's obviously had a great influence. I think just as a standalone film, doesn't really work. 
And part of that is because of that kind of huge gear shift in the middle where it completely changes and it feels Mm. like the first half hour of the film is like totally wasted. And that's kind of, I was kind of interested in what you would say about the Calvin because I know how much you like the film. Oh yeah, it's probably my favourite film. If if you look at it kind of objectively mm. as a standalone film without kind of the Hitchcock background and all that and the influence it's had, do you think it works? Uh, mm. It depends on what you... It, it Does it achieve what the director set out to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the director set out to ultimately just shock everyone by yeah. spending mm. 45 minutes building up this character. You think she's the star, we're going to follow her and then kill her. The whole first 45 minutes is purely building up to that moment. But Hitchcock himself was very... Are, are you going to are you going to stand on the... Because I've heard this is a criticism about the film um, from a lot of people, that the first half of the film is thoroughly entertaining and interesting and mm. the second half just kind of peters out and I, I, yeah that that is how i felt watching it this time you know I, I i always thought it was an okay film but i was expecting to come away having rewatched it thinking that i had underestimated it and that it was great and i i came away as i often do just feeling almost exactly as i i did and which mm. is that it's like it's okay but but the bulk of that is that yeah the first 45 minutes are actually really entertaining and really engaging and then the big shock sequence happens and then after that it, it's kind of just dull um certainly comparatively when the private uh, private eye comes looking and 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 i don't know if it would have played better if I didn't know where it was going, yeah, that's what back I was of my hands well. with his mother. Yeah, if you were genuinely went into that film and was shocked by it, and then you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen mm. next? Then if if they've killed off the mate, like what's going on? Like I wish I knew what that was like going into it. Because it because if I just thought it was his mother stabbing people and this guy caring for her, which is what it does if you don't know the twist uh, that's not very interesting to me just an old woman keeps stabbing people but the problem with that is does this work because whenever you see the murderer it's like shadow and like a six foot yeah, four kind of man in a dress and it's like and they, they they go out of their way to never show you her face yeah and if it's it's obviously saying hey it's the mother killing people but we're not quite showing you her. and the only other person it could be is Norman so there's no twist to it because it's because I'm watching it now knowing that already I don't know how much that plays well into that's it, it. and I, I I don't know how much of that is that we're watching this through modern yeah. eyes and we're more genre savvy maybe audiences in the 60s wouldn't have picked up on that maybe they weren't as clued into the conventions of film and oh no well, I don't even think it's the conventions of, of film and language of cinema because I think a lot of Psycho set a lot of the groundwork for these kinds of twists later on because those kind of psychological I don't think anyone would have been thinking because psychology wasn't really yeah. uh, in the public eye all that much so I don't think anyone in the audience would have thought oh yeah this is Norman dressing up as his mother and killing people I think that thought would have probably been out of the question mm. Hitchcock himself made Spellbound uh, a few years earlier which was all about um, psychiatry and is one of the first films kind of that explores um, uh, psychology, really. So he he had a great interest mm. in it. But uh, when I saw... I have very uh, uh, clear memories of when I first saw the film because I knew the Janet Lee twist 
uh, the, the shower scene. The other big twist in the movie is obviously that there is no mother doing the killing. It is Norman dressing up as his yeah. mother and speaking in her voice. I didn't know that. So I was completely with the film, like, sort of thing. Why are they not showing me this woman? And There must be something odd going on here. And then when she turns around at the end, Vera Miles goes up to the chair and spins around and it's a corpse. I genuinely, for a few seconds, thought it was a zombie and that the zombie <laughs> was killing people. And that's why it didn't Ooh, show no, the that face. would have been scary. <laughs> but I don't know... I don't know how you made it to the age of 13 without knowing that. Neither do I. He didn't even know he was gay. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's Principal Skinner's mother. It's 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 so... It's such an ingrained part of pop culture now. The Norman Bates and the mother. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I was clued into all that at age 13. I, I, why, why did he make the film the way he did then? Surely the thing to do would be make the first half the first 80% and then you do this crash reveal at the end and because that wouldn't work because then Janet Lee is there as the star of the movie for the majority and his the thing that tickled him was killing off the star literally halfway through Mm. Mm. but did he get any further than that he just went oh that'll be a cool trick to play in the audience Uh, and then we'll just shove some film at the end well, I think <laughs> I, the, the moments that I think the first like forty-five minutes obviously appealed to him a lot, building up to the shower scene, and then the very ending when it's revealed that Norman is actually and all that sort of. Um, I think the scenes with Norman Bates work very well. There's just all yeah. these scenes in between of like Lila and Sam in the hardware stores. I completely agree. Actually, that is absolutely it. It's not the Norman Bates stuff that I find dull. It's the looking for the the missing woman detective stuff that i find very mm. dull well i like i like i like martin bolson when he's um when he's questioning uh, norman bates and this kind of that kind of that little interplay it's quite subtle and like mm. he, f- he figures out he's lying to him and goes oh he's really acting really weird. but he plays it off quite cool i liked all that and then there's a scene where he goes on the phone and basically spends a 10 minute scene explaining everything we've just watched. Oh, I know. And, and now what was that? they they need it because they need the other characters to know what's happened. But it's such a bad way of doing it. It's so exposition mm. heavy. It's so boring. You don't need to have characters explain stuff to the other characters on screen. Yeah. Like if you're really that worried that the audience won't piece it together, then you just start the scene with them going so then I says to Norman, blah 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 blah, dissolve, and they go, dissolve oh. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like that was a and then in a similar fashion, the very end where the psychologist pretty much just explains everything. That was only deemed to be necessary. Like Hitchcock himself called it a hat grabber, but the screenwriter insisted it should be in there because people are not used to this kind of thing. We literally need to have this yeah. voice of authority coming yeah. in, and talking about psychology and explaining to the audience what it is. That's what really struck me about this is like you can tell why Hitchcock's such a great director because there's so much of this that I can't even necessarily put my finger on. Like it's not a stylistic choice. Where, oh, he does this. It really looks really cool. It's just like it just whatever needs to be done to evoke an atmosphere, yeah. to create the the tension or whatever. He seems to know how to do it. And then you got these bits where he's like falling down the stairs and a weird back projection thing that, and it's just like how does that slip up? And and there's another. There's a, in the shower scene. There's a like a cut where you know when she's reaching out to grab the shower curtain. Oh yes. yes. And you see her hand go out, and then it cuts to like her hand grabbing it. But mm. the edit just doesn't quite work. It's just like a kind of a hands in the wrong place, and it always jumps mm. out at me. Little things yeah. like that. It's just like how do things like that slip through when you're such a good director? Mm. <laughs> it's like how mm. do you just? Why did you not go? Do you know what that stairs scene looks shit? Let's do something different. Yeah. <laughs> to, to say people 
really love that shower scene. I, I do think the sort of editing of the, just the stabbing montage really isn't nearly as impressive as everyone seems to I, think well, it is. Again, I think you've got to see it in the context of the time. I don't think it's something that had really been... They always go on about and, how, oh, you never actually see the knife go in. It's like, yeah. like well, it's because it doesn't go I in. I picked up on that the first time I watched it. <laughs> there, are three, really there are three frames where it does penetrate the stomach. As, <laughs> are there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like because they've got penetrate that, that one or just shot. kind of poke a little bit. Well, I mean, it. I mean, the blade goes in by like just the tip of it, just a tiny like. It's literally three frames. So it's not penetrating; it's like pushing against. <laughs> you could make that argument, I suppose. I, I love how how overanalyzed that scene is. There was this thing I was reading on the IMDb trivia thing, and one of the oh, things was like it said like. Oh, as she falls and grabs the shower curtain, uh, if you focus in on just behind the shower curtain and squint, you can definitely see her tits. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, it really, really looked into this. <laughs> well, that was actually, that was Hitchcock getting something past the censors, because obviously yeah. this was... Uh, Psycho pushed a lot of boundaries in terms of American movie censorship, oh, yeah. certainly. It's the first, it's first American film to ever show a toilet, which... That was, I read that as well, yeah. Yeah, because it's a plot device. Like she puts a note in the toilet and tries to flush it, which her sister finds later on, which is evidence that she was there. Should we talk about the music then? Because it obviously has a massive effect oh, yeah. on the on the uh, how the film works and how oh, yeah, effective it's the film hugely, is. Hugely, hugely effective to, in terms mm. of selling the film <laughs> as a product, mm. and kind of it kind of toes the line between thriller and horror really well. Of course, Hitchcock. This was. Bernard Herrmann, who did the score, it was entirely his idea to do a all-strings orchestra. I think yeah. Hitchcock said something about, like, I think I read something somewhere where he wanted, like, a jazz score or something, which I can't imagine how that would have turned out. And Hitchcock, obviously, it's famous that he wanted the shower scene unscored. He wa- he just wanted a, mm. a completely silent murder, but Bernard Herrmann was like, no, 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 let me do this, I've got a really great idea for it. And obviously, it's... Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I can't think of a more iconic bit of film music. Maybe the Jaws the theme? Yeah, yeah possibly That's probably the only thing Star that comes Wars. close. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but Star Wars is really different because it is... That's just like proper music. It, it, like, mm. it, that's been put on something, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's not quite the same... Kind of, yeah, you're right. You not... wouldn't necessarily use that to evoke sci-fi like you would use the yeah. psycho music to evoke horror. Or, or, the, or the Jaws thing is just to evoke kind of a, an oncoming threat kind of thing. Yes. It's, yeah, 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 it's not quite the same, is it? No, you're completely right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the score is fantastic. And the theme, like when Janet Lee's driving through the, the, the roads, it's, it's mm. so engaging and just just tense the whole thing even yeah. though she's just driving down a road it just helps build on this tension what I like about this film is that it's a director kind of experimenting it feels like and, and just trying to do things differently mm. it, in the hope to just kind of create new things and I like that I don't necessarily I like when directors do that I don't necessarily like the end results and like I say, it's one of those things that has, it's more about how it influences things. It's the reason why that like, avant-garde film is interesting, even though it's not very good. Um, but another director who does a lot of that sort of thing is Gus Van Sant. Mm. Um, and so quite appropriate then that he made, he did the remake of Psycho in 1998, which is pretty much a shot for shot remake. And, and it seems to be he did that just because it was like, okay, well, let's just see what happens. If you if you just remake a film exactly as it was, will yeah. it find an audience? Um, and now I like that he does that. 
Um, I don't know how he got someone to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> good will, good like, will hunting uh, was well, yeah, like, off the in, back in of the that, documentary guess, yeah, on the DVD. Yeah. He talks about it, and the interview was like, "So why, how, how did they let you do this?" And he said, "Well, Goodwill Hunting made a lot of money, and now I can yeah, yeah, Universal yeah. and make what I want." So, <laughs> but but I like that this is what he chose to do, and that he just he just thought, "Well, you know, let's do something completely Ooh, kind of the, unexpected." There's one thing I want to mention actually that I've just remembered. Um, mm. Is the the house as well the oh, psycho house oh, yeah. the Bates house? Well, I, I think just want to mention good... how how much I love the design of that house. Oh, isn't it just perfect? Yeah, I assume it was a set for yes. uh, the film. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, but I think that's a good point to bring up when we're talking about the remake because of mm. all the things that the remake does, it just seems like why did you make that decision is to change the house mm. because the house <laughs> in the remake is nowhere near as intimidating or frightening looking <laughs> as the one in the original i honestly don't know why they changed it when they kept so much of the so much of the other stuff the same well that's it i don't know if you know anything more about this carly maybe if, because it's your kind of area but it's essentially a shot of a shot remake but then there are some changes and then there's like why mm. did you change that like why is that different and it doesn't work and and it feels like that you know all the actors are using the same dialogue, mm. but it feels so out of date. Like being in color, and even though it's set in the nineties, it the the story doesn't feel any different. I think you get away with that. But there's certain things like a, a dissolved cut into the next scene, which you just don't see anymore. But when you mm. see it in an old black and white film, it doesn't feel wrong. But when you yeah. see it today, it feels really yeah. weird. And then some of the like some of the editing didn't work for me. But but I think that was because rather than being edited to like naturally to fit what was going on, it was mm. being edited to fit the previous type and so mm. some of the lines feel a bit too quick or the cuts just in slightly in the wrong place and it just makes it feel kind of awkward and uncomfortable yeah, yeah. no i completely agree well van sant was when you watch the documentary it's like the editor who he uses was kind of she was always wanting to do like just speed something up a little bit or could we look could we literally just take a few frames out here because it's it, it just feels weird and wrong and i guess if you're if you are like an editor working on a film like the psycho remake it must be incredibly frustrating to give it none yeah. of your own personality or yeah. like anything that you've learned. You're literally just copying. But I think a lot of the people on the set were uh, working on different wavelengths. The costume designer only realised halfway during the shoot that she wasn't that this wasn't a period piece that it was supposed to be set in 1998. <laughs> uh, some of the costumes are so garish and like oh, I Rita love, Wilson's uh, hair and it's yeah William bizarre. H Macy's like 1940s yeah. gumshoe kind of private detective <laughs> hat. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, and, and apparently no one yeah was on the same wavelength. What one thing I do like is. Julianne Moore changes the character that she's playing. Yeah. She makes him a lot more feisty and kind of like, and it, it works a lot better. I think that's actually a, a stronger character and she plays it very well. Yeah. But then everyone else kind of doesn't really change the characters. So, like, why did she do it? Why was she allowed to do that? And it's like, yeah. Why? It doesn't, yeah, it feels just like no one knew what was going on with this film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we've tiptoed around that Vince yeah. Vaughn is Norman Bates <laughs> in that how do you feel about that <laughs> yeah, alan the, well this is early vince vaughn so he hadn't become the vince vaughn that we know like he was still had pretensions of of being a legitimate actor at this point <laughs> i actually think there's certain there's certain bits of it where i think you know what he he can act you know what i mean he's doing some good stuff here i think he's in a difficult situation where you're comparing it to anthony perkins it's just it doesn't work on that level mm. but i don't think it's terrible performance and i think perhaps 
if he'd been given more freedom or if it was like an original role, perhaps he could have been done something interesting with it. Mm, mm. But yeah, it is just very unventured kind of role, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> very much we know so. Now. The only bit that feels right for him is when they... One of the ch- bizarre changes they made is that when Norman's looking through the peephole <laughs> yes. at uh, Marion taking off a bra off, he masturbates. And you just... It comes out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, you, you just hear this, like... <laughs> and it's like, and that is like, what is he... And then he, it's over very quickly. I'm like... well, that was that was interesting because when I went when I watched the original again, I was like, I remember that scene like from, from that they put that into the remake. I'm like, I'm gonna when I watch this again, I'm gonna see is it like implied in the original, but it's like obviously they couldn't show it, and it's like, mm. no, it's not, <laughs> it's yeah. not implied at all. He just has a quick look and then sort of turns yeah, but... <laughs> shivs away. But to be fair, they they you know they they probably would be in very dangerous territory to even imply it. Oh yeah. Well, no, well, I mean, so... even if he'd lingered and watched for like longer, but he doesn't. He kind of looks, sees she's getting undressed, and kind of like feels shame, and and then puts the thing back. Yeah, like, so I, I, my my guess, my guess is that they felt that oh well, if they'd been able to, they would have included that then, and just were trying to George Lucas the original film along the way. Um, that's what I mean. I don't think I don't think that's even implied in the original. I, no, because the whole I, point I, I is that he's he's kind I, of ashamed of his arousal, so he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't act on it. Yeah, uh, mm. because his acting on it is to you know penetrate in a in a different way. Like I, I agree with you. I don't <laughs> think it's meant that way, but I I can totally see how someone might. Anyway, we've jumped ahead quite a bit here. Well, yeah, Psycho came out, and then that was it. And then twenty three years later, they. <laughs> turned around and did a sequel. Um, yes. Do you know anything about the the behind the scenes? Like, was that like Anthony Perkins' career hadn't really gone anywhere or something like that? Well, it was it, whether or not he was even going to come back was sort of up in the air for a while. Believe it or not, Christopher Walken was being <laughs> uh, re- explored as a potential recast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was the eighties, and slasher films were popular now it was yeah, all the friday the 13th halloween's all that and why not make a sequel though they were all getting like umpteen yeah sequels. you're right so why not go back to the original and do yeah. that hitchcock was also dead at this point so uh, <laughs> that <Guilt> helped <laughs> yes he died a couple of years earlier this is one of those sequels that isn't very well regarded but there is a very strong cult following who will adamantly stick up for it and tell you, you know what, it's it's actually not that bad, it's pretty good, worth checking out. Um, mm. I've got a feeling you're them. part of them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I so I went into it thinking, all right, this could be all right, and uh, I think it's a bag of shit to be honest. <laughs> well, it's just Why? it's just. Because it's just the most generic slasher film bollocks, and slasher films are shit. They're the they're the lowest end of horror. They're this is bollocks. a step above. You can't tell me that this is not a step above Friday the Thirteenth Part Two or even Halloween <laughs> Two. I mean, yeah, I'll 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 go as far as say it's a step above Friday the Thirteenth, the first one. <laughs> it's still shit. Any of them. <laughs> like it's just. They're just retreading the same old shit again, and you know exactly how it's going to play out. And the only, the only element of of surprise. Really? Did you really or... know that Mrs. Spool was going to be revealed as the true 
Mother of Norman Bates. Well, not that big, because well, that's that, obviously no. something they just stuck on at the end. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Half, halfway through filming, it had no connection to what had gone before, and doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah I mean, but I can't I just, stand by that twist. Yeah. <laughs> but I just mean in terms of Norman gets out, and he starts doing it all again, and, you know, the teens <laughs> break into his house so that they can get killed. And But for, for me, it was... Like, they, they've just done it as a straight-up kind of murder mystery... Mm. like who's who's doing all this killing kind of thing which abandons like the gimmick of the first one in that it was not that and then became that yeah you know mm. what I mean? yeah. but fair enough you're not gonna be able to just do the same thing but then like by the end i i had no idea who was killing who uh, i had like i don't know who killed the vera miles um because the police think it was the daughter but doesn't stink right i think norman mm. killed some people when because he's gone off the rails again mm. um <sighs> I really like that about the film, that it is kind of open to interpretation. No, because uh, at the end, this old lady appears, Emma Spool, and says that she was the one killing everyone. But Norman's yeah, yeah. definitely going kind of crazy, and there's some, like, the, the figure that kills Vera Miles is certainly not little Emma Spool, little four-foot old lady. Like, that is a hulking person that has come and <laughs> shoves the knife in her mouth. Yeah, you can't just stab a knife through someone's back of someone's head. It's like it's not that easy. <laughs> You've got to have a bit of power behind yeah. you. <laughs> I, I've always liked to think that it was Norman that did Lila in. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what I assumed. Yeah, and like because he'd already gone a bit crazy by then. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea that they just sort of trigger him and he goes mental again. And mm. and 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 one of the major things that it's missing is directorial flair. Like, mm. it, yeah, it's it, just the most it, yeah. by the numbers yeah. bit of shooting. Isn't it <sighs> doesn't the whole film just feel really sorry? Like this just what, sad it, thing that shouldn't yes. have happened. Uh, I, I disagree with the it shouldn't have happened, but I do think that yeah, it is kind of sad that. Norman All right, should like have happened. Hanging fifteen but years. Sooner. I think that I think that just adds to the atmosphere of it because I think I think it is really sad. Like there are, and I I, I know you're both gonna laugh at this, but there's the scene where Norman's really uh, he's hovering over whether or not he's gonna stab Meg Tilly, and uh, she comforts him, and he starts talking about the toasted cheese sandwiches that his mum used to make him, <laughs> and genuinely brings a tear to my eye when I watch that scene. I think it's I think it's so lovely and the camera pans out and it's it's one of the only sort of directorial mm. flourishes in there when the camera pans back and it sort of leaves the set and all around the set is just darkness and it's just like um it's a very odd shot but I I, I like it a lot. And I think that, that a lot of that comes from, yeah, it's been 23 years since we last mm. saw this guy, and he's just a bit of a sorry, sad state. Like, he looks... Like, he's in great shape. He's wiry frame and whatever, I, but he's, his face looks withered by time. I don't know. It just it feels like there should have been a few sequels in the years before, and then you can come back for one when they're all old as, like, a big finale. It just right. feels a bit... Whereas instead they're picking up when everyone yeah. is already old. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that, I get that. But I like that enough time has passed. Like, it probably would take a, someone this long to be rehabilitated and to be let yeah. out in society. Mm. Yeah. Where it's true. like, when you, you get onto for between Psycho 3 and 4, they lock him away forever, and now all of a sudden he's out in a couple of years. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, what, what's, you know, I was saying with Psycho 2, it's generally not regarded as great, but it really does have a bit of a following who stick by it. Uh, how how is Psycho three generally thought of? Uh, Psycho two is generally considered the best of the sequels. Uh, Psycho three tends to get a, in recent years. I think it's getting a bit more mm. of a 
reputation, largely because Anthony Perkins is actually directing this one. Mm. Well, that's mm, interesting because, because yes. I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I think Psycho Two is the worst one. Oh, I, I yeah, I, I thought Psycho Three was a step up from Psycho Two. It's still not great, but it, huh? It felt more unique. It felt like, like you say, it does kind of have a weird. <laughs> flavor of, of of this whole religious stuff just thrown in there mm, um mm. and it isn't just retreading the same old murder slasher tropes mm. quite as quite as heavily as as the second one did i mean it, it you know mm. it does kind of devolve into that um mm. no that's interesting yeah. I, I i'm not a huge fan of it it's probably my least favorite of the mm. main sequels I think a lot of it because it is just so weird, and I, uh, uh, Anthony Perkins is just indulging himself in odd sequences in which Jeff yeah. Fahey is naked and you know with lamps <laughs> in front of his crotch, oh, yeah. like shining them at a, a woman who's dancing in front of him. It's very, very peculiar. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I agree. I think I, I think I find it being so odd a bit more interesting. It just feels like more of a legitimate piece of art that someone's made, whereas the second one mm. felt like more of a, a product. Yes, mm. I completely agree with that. Uh, mm. I, Anthony Perkins, it should be said, I'm not sure if either of you done much research on this, but he was very uh, influenced by the Coen brothers when he was uh, making this well, film. I was, really? I was going to say, did you notice who did the music on this film? Carter Burwell. Carter Burwell, which, like, what, a couple of years after Blood Simple was this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Perkins yeah. saw Blood Simple, and that was part of his big, like, uh, huh. influence for Psycho 3. He just wanted to make one of those films. It's a much grittier film than the previous mm. one, isn't it? It's a bit I think that's, dirtier, again, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, it. The second one feels very polished. Um, mm, mm. The first film wasn't that at all. It was much, like you say, darker, grittier... Well, yeah, one of the things that the screenwriter really wanted to do in this is at the end of Psycho 2, it's revealed that Norman's mother is not actually his mother, and it's this Mrs. Spool lady mm, instead, yeah. and they completely undo that in the third yeah. film, <laughs> because the writer thought it was a really stupid uh, twist that the second one had, and he wanted mm, things to yeah. return to normal. Um, I mean, I must admit, by the end of the third film, I just completely lost track of what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, who was supposed to be his mother, or well, what, they and all that. There's this reporter character who's supposed to be investigating, and then she's like, deliver it. She's getting out all this exposition, and it's a lot of exposition while Norman is sort of stalking her around the house. Uh, and they end up just in mother's bedroom and the, the the camera work would have you believe that they were in some kind of labyrinth or maze. It's like neither of them seem to know where the other one is in the room and it's like it's not very big and there's just a bed in it. Like it's I, I, The ending scene really annoys me. I don't know, there's this weird relationship he strikes up with this nun who's having a crisis of faith and uh, she's suicidal isn't she? And, and yes. it, it just sort of, he tries to save her but then things happen. One thing leads to another, and he just ends up killing loads of people <laughs> in the well, motel. He, I mean, that's kind of his pent-up sort of. You could read it as sexual frustration because he's really yeah. attracted to this nun and really wants to be with her, and it's like he's killing just to sort of let off steam, really. Like especially mm. like that woman on the toilet. Uh, there's a, a lady earlier on in a, a phone booth who he kills. Mm. Uh, because oh, yeah, it, it yeah, is a love yeah. story, really. He does, yeah, fall in love it is. In which is and the way and the way she dies. I didn't like that because <laughs> yes, it's basically he he sort of looks in the wrong direction and then accidentally knocks her down the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> and then not only does she fall down the stairs, but 
managed to stay on her feet long enough to fall into a statue with a big Oh sword. god, I forgot about that. Yeah. It's the most yeah. ridiculous like that felt like it had taken like out of all of the franchise, that felt like the bit that had taken the most influence from other slasher yeah. movies that had kind of come in the eighties. It did feel like, well, we've got to have someone fall down the stairs. I mean, <laughs> standard now. We've got to do that. Well, they even I think one of the really great twists actually early on is when you think they're going to redo the shower scene when Maureen is in the bath and Norman's oh, going yes. to kill her. And then he whips back the shower curtain and she's already slashed her wrists. And she I really like that. Yeah, it, yeah, that plays mm-hmm. really well. I, really, I, I do like that sort of playing with your expectations of iconic moments like that. Um, uh, one other thing as well. Norman kills um, Jeff Farr, his character. Mm. But he kills him not like as part of his psychosis. He kills him mm. to protect himself. It's kind of yeah. like, well, this guy's blackmailing him. He's going to dob me into yeah. to get rid of him. Mm. That's very different motivation. It, yeah. And it doesn't make Norman a sympathetic character. Like yeah. he was kind of a, a mentally mm. you know, flawed. So we kind of feel sorry for him. Yeah. And I think that's it. Well, probably a wrong choice, but an interesting choice. Mm. Um, I don't know if anyone actually thought about it. Mm. There's there's a bit more of that in the fourth film. (laughs) On the Jeff Faye thing, I I think we're supposed to think of Jeff Faye as the villain, and I think we are kind of supposed to be behind Norman when he beats him to death. Yeah, I think you are. But just because he's an arsehole is not... Maybe in film terms, that is enough to just kill him (laughs) off. (laughs) (laughs) It It is really a film full of just everyone is either sad and suicidal mm. or evil and trying to manipulate normal like even the reporter lady who's throughout the whole film and investigating she's pretty dreadful like she oh, just I know. She, Adam she, she, getting I him behind her, bars yeah. now you want her dead at the end i think mm. the the only um character you know is sort of seen as like a relatively good person is the sheriff who comes back from the second <laughs> yeah. film and and even then he has that scene where he's eating the ice like norman's put the corpse yeah. of one of his victims <laughs> in the ice box <laughs> and he's picked do you like that scene, Calvin? I love that's it. Seems the sort of thing you like. Yeah, I like that. It, yeah, it, it, I, I did really like that. I think that the movie does have a lot of um, Hitchcockian dark mm. humor in it, like that, which the second one was missing. Again, that's that's part of why it works better for me. It, it just has more of, like you say, humor, more little set pieces that are just interesting bits of character interplay. Because yeah, I mean that that ice scene isn't just a joke. It's also like a very tense moment where. You know, is this guy gonna and very Hitchcockian? Is this guy gonna mm. find this you know corpse that's right next to him, or is he gonna? I yeah. don't know though, because because then it like goes to Norman Bates like looking at the ice like going Meow. like he's like he's doing this kind of comedy. Oh gosh, <laughs> kind of look. Oh, I don't think it's quite that over. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's underplayed. <laughs> The ending of Psycho 3 was a studio mandate that you had to end on something a bit creepy because Anthony Perkins wanted the movie to end with Norman says, I'm free, I'll finally be free. And that's quite a lovely, like, Mm. he's free of his psychosis. If this was the last Psycho movie, he's free of his problems, but he's locked up forever. He'll never get out again. And that's quite a nice ending. Mm. But then instead he, like, pulls out this hand of Mrs. Spool, (laughs) who isn't even his real mother, and then begins stroking it and smiles at the camera, and it it, it, it kind of ruins. Yeah. It, it ruins any kind of yeah. nice. What what the ending so, could yeah, be? So he's, he's not free at all. He's he's yeah. still completely nuts. Yeah, so, yeah, and it just completely undercuts what he previously said, which was quite nice. Mm. But anyway, never mind. That's the studio for you. 
Now, so before the Psycho 4, yes. there was uh, a film called Bates Motel, which yes. was... So now, bear in mind, I watched the I watched the Psycho films, but I didn't watch this. I don't really know anything about it. So, have you, have you okay. seen it, Calvin? I assume you have. Yes. Because I watched I watched this as well. I didn't realize mm. until afterwards that it was actually a pilot for a TV series yes. that didn't get picked up, which which was all the more baffling, frankly, because I <laughs> I don't I can't for the life of me figure out where they were planning to take it. But I, I, I guess we'll get to that in a second. I, I had a real hard time finding this because I heard about this. Like I say, I was getting into Psycho in my mid-teens and this mm. is just about when YouTube was starting up and, yeah, you know, LimeWire yeah. was there, but it wasn't, you, you know, there was no way of actually finding yeah, this I, I, it's anywhere not, online. It's not available legally in this country anywhere. So I, Well... Is it? Uh, I, uh, Did you import on, the American DVD? No, I got the VHS, which was released in the UK. <laughs> I managed to find one on eBay, and I must have paid about like twenty pounds for it. Uh, so I do have the VHS. I didn't rewatch it for the purpose of this, but I I've seen it the once, and that's, well, that, that's well, that's enough. it. I I in order to track this film down and obtain it, you know, I, I just turned to the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, you got but, LimeWire. But, but the yeah, good old LimeWire. But but the file I found was you know it it, it was very clearly a, a digitized copy from a VHS tape that had been played through with all the imperfections and the audio would occasionally go and and you know just but yeah it's it's basically Bud Court is yeah. um, a roommate uh, with Norman in the lunatic asylum and Norman dies bequeaths the Bates motel to this guy called uh, Alex and the film is the plot is kind of I mean he's it's about an hour and a half long and he meets this girl but played by Laurie Petty it's the two of them and then a, a, a local man and they you know get the motel up and running for business yeah. but there's some like real estate guy who wants rid of the motel and he, he's gonna build a condo on there or something <laughs> like that and then he's uh, he's dressing up as mother and like oh it's haunted ooh, it's, let's <laughs> let's you know sell it to me ooh. Mm. <laughs> um, but then there's also this really weird uh, subplot involving Jason Bateman <laughs> yeah well this I think uh, you mentioned earlier so that you about uh, how on earth would they make this into a series and I think yeah. this subplot is how what they would do because this this woman who checks into the motel and she's going to kill herself mm. and then these ghost teenagers appear one of them is Jason Bateman but, but it's a twist that they're ghosts isn't yes, it? it is. It is. These yeah. teenagers show up, and it's like a throwback fifties. What is it like prom night or something? Yeah, yeah. And, and she's invited <laughs> along, and they're all like, "Oh!" And and then the big twist that is pretty obvious is like the the only reason it isn't obvious is because you don't quite expect them to just suddenly take the Psycho franchise into genuine fantasy. Um, yes, supernatural. Yeah, yeah, but the big twist is, oh, I'm a ghost. <laughs> I killed myself. Don't kill yourself. We're all ghosts. We all killed ourselves in Bates Motel. Don't kill yourself. <laughs> but it's it's so fucking weird because throughout the entire film, you're just waiting for Alex to kill someone. <laughs> yes, and it never comes. There's no murder in this entire film. <laughs> Like, especially at the time this was made, which was like the late eighties, they're not—they're never going to have a murderer as the main character. So he's just a little bit, <laughs> a little bit quirky, and him and his mates are going to run this thing. And every episode, every week, there'll be a new character who arrives. It'll be like Fantasy Island, Murder She Wrote, well, that was whatever. What I was they're bringing wondering. in a new were they, bunch were they of people. Were they planning to have like? 
Oh, this guest's a werewolf. <laughs> Ooh, this guest's a vampire. <laughs> no, like, Alex, bring me some blood. Oh, like, because I just, I don't know what else you could do with it. You can't do ghosts every week of suicide victims. Like, well, exactly. What, what, where were they planning to go with it? it? It's for the best that it was never made. I think we can all agree. I mean, it's just everything. None of it makes sense. At the end of the thing, the main character turns to camera. And, and directs the audience directly. <laughs> yes. And, um, oh, let, let me just dig up what it is he says. Or, or do you know it, Calvin, by any chance? I can't say for sure what you'll find, but it is what makes the world go round. <laughs> no, but he's, doesn't he say something like... <laughs> oh, yeah, he says, if you ever need a, if you ever need a room, come by. Yeah, and like, then... it's like Wayne's World. <laughs> it's, so, just, it's so weird. <laughs> You do wonder what the impulse was. Like, obviously, they had this set on the back lot. Like, the set is still there in yeah. Universal Studios. You can go and tour around yeah, it. Yeah, being in there, LA. It's cool. So I don't know if they just had it and were like, w- "What can we do with this?" And then, um, then they went and made Psycho Four, uh, yes, TV movie, the beginning. Yeah, and and I, I that really did feel like something of a an attempt to course correct. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. This is interesting. What like. Maybe you know Calvin. Like, what was the thinking behind Psycho Four? Because it seems to jettison the second and third films, kind of. But then, it, yeah, but then it, it doesn't really stick to the first film either, mm. <laughs> because the ages are all different, and and like the motel was built before she got this boyfriend, and and all this sort of stuff that doesn't fit with what you see in the first film either. Mm. Mm. I think it's just very slack continuity. It was the, okay. the screen. The screenwriter of the original film came back, Joseph Stefano, oh, really? and he wrote that. it. Yeah, which oh. is bizarre because he he didn't like um, two and three. Yeah, and so he 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 wanted to um, course correct, as you say, and just right. like do a direct sequel well, to the original. But they do mention a couple of points. Oh, those murders a few years ago. Mm. Like it is acknowledged just in dialogue very quickly that. Two and three could have happened in this mm. continuity. Yeah. Can I ask, yeah. like I did with three, how this one is generally regarded amongst like psych- uh, psycho aficionados? Uh, not very well regarded. Oh, really? Uh, mm. I, I think the the See, Anthony... that's This is this is probably my favorite yeah. of the sequels. Oh, wow. I mean, again, yeah. I mean, it's not a great film, but there's some interesting things in there. I that genuinely I think the enjoyed don't this have. one. Um, oh. It's not. Great. I mean, I, I like it a lot. Man. Yeah, it's not amazing, but it's good fun, watchable. There were some scenes in this that seemed very like similar to scenes in Bates Motel, and I'm, I'm sure oh, you're yes. well aware of it. So, just out of interest, was Bates Motel directly referencing this film, or are they both no. going back to like stuff from the book that was left out? Or I think it. I. I mean, I can only assume that the people making the new Bates Motel TV show. They, they must have gone back and seen all the films yeah, they, at some point. I, I assume but... most of them are big Psycho fans, and that's how they've mm. kind of come to it. But yeah, but I can't imagine that it was a conscious... Mm. Oh yes, this will be a nice little reference to Psycho 4. I think they're purely going to the first film for inspiration. Fair enough. Uh, all those characters anyway. Yeah. But yeah, this one kind of came about... Um, Anthony Perkins really wanted to direct it again, but because Psycho 3 was a bit of a, a flop... 
it was he was rejected and they brought in Mick Garris mm. who has sort of directed some of the sort of low budget horror that interested me because I looked him up seems to make a career like these low budget horror things but I actually really liked it one of the things I liked about this film is that it feels like it's the director there's a director doing mm. something mm. rather than just saying yeah. you know put a camera over there it's like it feels there's a bit of thought gone into yeah. the visuals and like a bit of directorial flair mm. and um, it, it, it felt and that's one of the things I like about the it film it felt like even though it was essentially just a framework for a series of murders it, it felt like it had a lot more going on than that which isn't really how your average slasher movie plays to me I think that's why mm. I, I quite enjoyed it um, uh, I want to talk about the cast a bit though because um, sure. Olivia Hussey plays Norma Bates in this so so Norma yes. Bates is now Argentinian what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah, yeah her <laughs> accent is all over the place at the best of times Like we, we've looked at this actress before in Black Christmas if you remember her from <laughs> mm-hmm. that Hello, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's all the more jarring that like Norman doesn't affect an accent when he does her voice. <laughs> that's that's what really. I can't imagine either of you had seen this film before. No, so no, how did I watched you feel it for the first time last Mother, night. Mother, up until this point has been woman in rocking chair with grey hair, Ooh. and now all of a sudden it's this beautiful like forty-year-old uh, Olivia Hussey. It, it was it was a little bit jarring to me, but I, I think I'd already dealt with that with um, Bates Motel, the the more recent TV series, because yeah. that's the same sort of thing. I mean, in terms of how it works with the continuity, uh, I'm not sure, but in terms of how it works straight up in this film, I really like it. I think she's great. I like that character. I read that the director um, was very consciously, he, he wanted to cast a Norma who was as uh, attractive and, and enigmatic as Norman was in the first film. Because obviously mm. he's this good-looking, handsome young man. And I, I, I can see, I think that's quite a nice idea. And like, Alan, going back to what you were just saying about a director's vision, that's the sort of thing that comes across in this film, that there was someone making decisions like that and thinking about stuff on yeah. that level. Mm. But what can I just say, what, what I really liked about it, and it's specifically to her character, is just how kind of brutal and raw that is, like the way mm. like her mental illness is. Because... I'm so used to seeing this kind of Hollywood gloss of men- what mental illness is and like an acceptable form of mental illness shown on, on film that this feels much more real. Yeah. It feels like the, just the way she speaks, the way she acts, the way she just flips like yeah. a, a switch. It feels like you wouldn't get that in a mainstream film. Like mm. it has to be this kind of low budget yeah. kind of thing that's slightly under the radar. Yeah. Mm. She performs it really well. And and the boy, like, I don't think Henry Thomas is a particularly good actor, mm. but the character works. Mm. Um, that he's just sort of slightly scared of her, but he's in awe of her. And then they obviously have these moments where they're actually really close mm. and you see enough of that mm. that you understand like this abusive relationship yeah. and why he kind of loves her but hates her and, and mm. scared of her and becomes her and all that sort of thing. I think that, that all that works really nicely and I like all those bits of it. I don't like any of the stuff that happens in the kind of contemporary modern... See, well, even that I don't mind. I, I like having Anthony Perkins there. It does feel a bit like a mm, yeah. laboured you know means of fitting him in and giving I mean, a book end but yeah, I, I, I don't like mind the, the little... kind of the framework that sets up the flashbacks i don't like the end I guess, yeah the ending's a bit silly but <laughs> I, I i like the stuff leading up to it I, I love when he um snaps that apple in half for example there's a lot of nice little <laughs> character you know, the, the, moments the, the, like that 
the directors talked about that. That was like a genuine thing that Anthony Perkins did on the set, and they used it in the film because he <laughs> was so pissed off with the director. He was giving him a really hard time throughout this whole shoot, partly because he felt like he should be the one directing it, also right. partly because he was diagnosed as HIV positive during filming. Wow. So... That, yeah, he wasn't in the best of uh, best of moods. I think that comes across though when you watch it. I think I think this is my favorite of the performances that we get of Norman Bates in the sequels because it, it it feels mm. like a man who is you know sincerely at the end of his rope and like really mm. really dealing with some shit. And I think that comes across. What was the um the uh, over because the the incest in mm. here is kind of overt. Is, Did that surprise either of you? Because um, I I still still on it, TV now. I think it's still quite a taboo. It doesn't. It didn't surprise. Yeah, well, it me. feels like it was always implied. Yeah, it, it, in the so so it, it was always yeah, implied. And there's obviously a sexual kind of element to these killings. Again, I've mm. started to get used to it because of the Bates Motel TV series, but. I, I mean, I, it wasn't a surprise, but it did make me very uncomfortable. But I think that's to the film's credit because that—that's—that's that's yeah. the point, you know. It, it is. It, and it, it's like I was saying about the the mother character and how she behaved and all that. It's, it, I don't think you would see that in a mainstream film even today. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, mm. And it, and that's why I like this film. It's kind of like it feels like it's doing something unusual and something like when you watch like you know European films and it's mm. like wow you'd never see this in a yeah. <laughs> in a Hollywood yeah. film and it's yeah. like uh, but obviously that's good. <laughs> I've got to say as well, you know, people always say in horror films. Oh, I was just waiting for them to die. I couldn't wait for them to get killed. They were doing my head in about characters. <laughs> I've never really felt that way until um until the first woman in this film. Oh, I really couldn't wait. <laughs> the for young, her to... the young, young woman who's like yeah. really slutty, the, 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 <laughs> the perky one that the, he kills first, the one who just doesn't mm-hmm. behave like like a human being. She's like. <laughs> Like he says, "Oh, wait for me in the in there, and I'll come back." And then she like just sneaks off to the house. So she's like anticipating. She's like, "Well, no, I definitely want to do it in a bed." Yeah. And then she like goes into. She's like, "Oh, I definitely want to do it in front of your mum." That's it. She goes. She goes into the mum's room and sees the mum, and then like thinks it's gonna be really funny to like push this what she thinks is an old woman in bed who's <laughs> ill. <laughs> I do love the the other girl that Norman is seen murdering, the sort of older lady who seems like a mm. bit of a cougar. Yeah, sort she's of thing. all right. I I love I love how because he strangles her and then she sort of like comes back to life when he's about to chuck her in the swamp and he has to strangle her again and then he like locks her in the boot of the car just as it's being pushed mm. in and then you hear her like banging from the inside <laughs> of the thing like she's come Ooh, back uh-huh. again. I thought that was really cool and creepy. Is that supposed to show that he's learned? He's learned that you know he really has to stab people. That's the only <laughs> way to get the job done. <laughs> yeah, I think so. This is like he's a young murderer still learning his craft. <laughs> so we, we mentioned the ending briefly, but the very ending, like mm. the um, where Norman is going through the house, he's setting it all on fire, and he's seeing oh, yeah. ghosts, hallucinations <laughs> of his previous victims. Yeah, uh, I so wish. Obviously, they couldn't have done it on the budget. Probably, yeah. but I was so wishing that they could bring back people from the other movies. That would have like, been good. <laughs> even like Vera Miles in the basement, and like even get back Janet Lee, and like you know, I think it would have been a cute callback. Yeah. But it is, it is probably the only well, yeah, happy ending in the series. But it's like Norman says, "I'm free. I'm finally free." To his psychiatrist yeah. wife, and then goes away, and then we obviously there's a little button on the end when we hear the voice of mother, but then the doors to the cellar slam, 
and that's it. That's the end. Mm. And I think for Anthony Perkins to go out as Norman Bates like this mm. is is quite lovely. I, I think I it's agree. a really sweet it, ending. It feels like a very conscious. This is the you know the final chapter. This is the last psycho. Mm. We're closing the door on the story. Mm. Mm. And I'm sure you know. I'm sure they would have figured out a way to make further ones if they could have done, and if it would have been worth their while. But mm. as a an ending, it, it's nice. Um, I haven't seen Bates Motel, this TV show, mm. and don't really know anything about it. So what is it? I'll try not to spoil too much then, because it, it is pretty much Psycho 4 as a TV show yeah. without the old Norman Bates wraparounds. It's Norman so Bates. So it like it's like a prequel. It's early yeah, Bates. it's Norman Bates, yeah. Freddie okay. Highmore, and Norma, his mother, played by Vera Farmiga. And the first mm. episode is they move to this new... I mean, the, the thing was filmed in Canada, so it's not set in sort of LA, California, Nevada desert now. It's um, mm. it's set in... I think they say it's set in Oregon or something. Okay. Um, and yeah, they buy the motel and the house, and the house looks exactly the same as it does in the film, and it's... Uh, Norman Bates starts going to school, and it's it, it's really good. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure. So what what's the want... kind of what's the narrative drive of it? Is he killing people? Yeah. Or... Well, yeah. It, to, yeah. to begin with, there's just I mean, there, there's a whole subplot that I'm not a fan of with his brother. Oh. Who, there's this whole like yes. bullshit about his brother, and he's into like organized well not organized crime, but kind of redneck drug dealing and that sort of thing. So it's very out of character. Like the series is at its best when it's Norman and Norma having yeah. mother son bickering and oh there's a there's a creepy person staying at the motel what's yeah. uh, what's all this about they might have a secret but my understanding is that season five that has just started or is just starting in america I, like this is the final season isn't it it's what they've been building yes. to and it's just a remake of psycho <laughs> yeah they've cast well they've cast i'm not sure how much of the season is that but they cast rihanna the musician as Marion Crane. Obviously, they went for the biggest name they could possibly get, and I guess that's what you get. <laughs> it almost feels to me, I almost wonder if someone just wanted to remake Psycho, but they mm. kind of knew no one would go for it in this day and age, and it, there'd be so much uproar. <laughs> so we're like, right, we've got mm. to spend four years making like this prelude <laughs> to get everyone on board with this and just get them all... Yeah into the idea of us remaking Psycho, and then by the time we've done mm. that, everyone will be on board. But it, it is a really... Uh, Bates Motel is a really great show. I'd, I'd recommend it. It's a good exploration of a descent into madness, I guess. Uh, well, this is going to be a bit of a diminishing returns first, because I am going to pitch an idea that I had when I was uh, 16. Uh, and I wrote something. Uh, and uh, I was quite... I was oh, quite God, please. Are on, you reading it out word for word, please? Uh, I've adapted it. I've adapted book. it a bit. Oh, I want to hear 16-year-old Calvin's writing. It was too embarrassing. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I've read, I've read some of those old scrolls, haven't oh, I? They're, yes. they're amazing. From the very from the very sexually frustrated years of... Uh, <laughs> I remember reading something in a notebook about a, a woman who, quotes, hasn't had any cock in seven years. What? Was that me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. That's very crude of me, isn't it? Oh, I, I wouldn't be like that these days. Dear, dear, dear. <laughs> but I think you were I think you were working through some some issues at the time. <laughs> oh dear. Hmm. So so this is this is Psycho 5 basically. Then, yeah, is this it? is Psycho 
the next generation. <laughs> when, did, when, did, <laughs> when did you write this? About 2005? Yes, yes. Something like that? Yes. So I'm trying to figure out what the casting choices would be. Oh, no, 2006. Ooh, sorry, that, 2006. That era. Oh. Shall, shall I just do, jump right into it? <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can... Okay, we'll get to casting later on. Okay, so Psycho, the next generation. Dun 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 dun. Why don't you use the music? Oh, I thought I thought you were doing the Star Trek theme for a second. There, the, new, the next generation, like. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay, so we start the movie on a rainy night. We follow a car along a small road. We see it's being driven by Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, she she looks worried. Obviously, Janet Lee's daughter. So, um, who was actually up for the role in Psycho Two? But she she decided not to do it for whatever reasons. Uh, anyway, that would have made sense. She would write sort of casting bracket. Yeah, 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 totally. Anyway, we see a sign, Bates Motel. Jamie pulls up and goes to reception. There's no one there. She looks around, no one there. But she's desperate to have a rest. It's very late. She leaves a note at the desk and takes the key for cabin one. We follow her doing a little unpacking, and we uh, see as she she op- turns around. <laughs> oh, it's only James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, could I help you to your room? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't that bad. Anyway, we um, we follow her doing a little unpacking, and we see as she opens up a compartment of her suitcase. She's carrying millions of dollars. She, Ooh. of course, gets undressed and uh, gets undressed and gets in the shower. She's was- washing herself. A door opens in the background and a figure slowly approaches Jamie Lee Curtis. The curtain is whipped back and Jamie turns and the knife, uh, she screams, a knife appears and with one slash cuts off her head. L- much, <laughs> much, like, much like how the, uh, the murder scene is written in the book. That is actually how the murder oh, okay. shower scene is written in the book. What? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the line is something That's like... Not... Then the, oh, is the, he, is the he figure... using like a machete? <laughs> the, the the line is something like and then the figure produced a knife which cut off her scream and her head or something like that uh... anyway the camera whips around and we see it's Vince Vaughn in drag but I'm talking like I'm talking like I'm talking like Rocky Horror Picture Show drag and um, he turns and goes back into cabin one and starts rummaging around in the money and he's talking in his mother voice uh, about how we can finally move away and get out of here and uh, are we are we going to have real psycho come in and kill Vince Vaughn well, like when uh, when when the Japanese Godzilla franchise like had Godzilla beat the shit out of the American Godzilla because they weren't happy <laughs> with the with the, oh, the remake be, from the 90s actually that is brilliant but no um instead walks B Arthur who, uh, <laughs> who, who goes over? You're such a good son, Norman. Was She's she still alive like, at the time? Mother is. She was in 2006. Yeah, B, B. Arthur only died quite recently, didn't she? 2010, I think. I remember. Oh, okay. I remember the day because we 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 were meeting at the park as lot and a few friends. And oh, as soon as uh, as soon as I joined the group, the first the first thing that Alan said to me was, "B. Arthur's dead." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just okay. knew you'd be interested. Well, it says yes. here uh, oh, April okay. two thousand nine. Yeah, so okay. Yep. So, alive. are these uh, are all these casting decisions of yours authentic to the original idea from when you were sixteen, or have you kind of filled in? Yes. Like, okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, these are all the people I would have cast in two thousand six. So it's actually got, got mother's real and um, Norman's mad, and they're they're, they're going to go and um, do some crimes and stuff. It's at this point that we pan around to see that what we're actually watching is a movie being projected. And uh, uh, it's being watched by... I, I was very influenced by Scream around this time. <laughs> so this was my attempt to do Psycho as a Scream slasher movie. Yeah, okay. Anyway, the uh, we, we see a small audience, um, including right at the back, Norman Bates Jr. 
And uh, please bear in mind, this was 2006. Who did I cast as Norman Bates? Uh, how, how old are we talking about? 18. 18. Uh, when was uh, Zac Efron about? What's the kid? Oh my god, how did you... Oh shit, you've got it in one. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe that. Oh my god. Well, who else, Carmen? Come on. <laughs> wow. Oh, I, th- I thought that was going to be 10 minutes worth of great material that we were going to... Uh, okay. Uh, at this point, uh, Norman Bates Jr. walks out of the theatre. He's a bit upset at what he's seen. And he goes home where Connie Bates... His mother is waiting for him with dinner. They live in a nice modern home and they have a conversation about the movie. Obviously, it's the the story of Norman Bates is quite famous and it's been adapted into a film and it's having an effect on their lives. Um, they're both very displeased with the crassness of it and whatnot. But now, Junior has been suffering from visions of his dead grandmother. So, they live in a nice <laughs> modern home. Wait a minute, are we supposed to... So, this is Norman Bates' son? Yes. And so, who's the mother? Uh, Connie Bates. We're going to get back the same actress from Psycho 4. I don't think she's doing anything else. It's supposed to be that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. direct chronology from Oh, that. yes, yes. Like, Psycho 4 ends with the baby crying. This is the baby grown up. A little bit older than what they probably would have been, but we can fluff the timeline somehow. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, Junior's been suffering, suffering from visions of his dead grandmother. It's like she's been haunting him. And um, while this was suppressed by his psychologist mother in childhood, the new movie has brought it all up again, all this angst about grandmother and blah-de-blah. So, Junior sneaks out to make pilgrimage to the site of the old motel and burned-out house um, in hopes that this will somehow cure him. This doesn't actually make a lot of sense, but I'm going by, like, Psycho 4 logic of... No one seems, you know, no one minds yeah. when people just like rock up at this creepy old abandoned motel. Now, while he's there, he's in the house up top. A, a, a bunch of young, sexy uh, college students turn up uh, to spend the night at the abandoned motel. Junior is up in the burned out house and he sees the teens and is about to leave when he falls through a semi burned floorboard and lands <laughs> in the basement. He coughs and gets up, and there before him is a dark figure with long grey hair shrouding the face. The figure turns and walks into the darkness. Junior pursues, but the figure has vanished. Is he going psycho like his father before him? Now, here we have some uh, teen slasher stuff as the mysterious figure kills their way through the teens while Junior meets with, um, uh, this, I've only cast one of the teens, um, and it's Alicia Cuthbert, who I'm not sure you're aware of. Uh, Oh, are you aware of her? (laughs) Yes, just, yeah. Who is it? I know the name, but not... She was, she was uh, Kiefer Sutherland's daughter in 24. Uh, yeah, really she she did a film called The Girl Next Door in like 2004 or something, yes. which is why I'm familiar yes. with it. Yeah. And she did House of Wax in 2005, which I really oh, yeah. liked. Anyway, she and Junior sort of meet up and have a bit of a, will they, won't they, relationship. Uh, and Junior is semi-convinced that he's the one going crazy and killing people, but um, Alicia is convinced otherwise. And uh, the cast is whittled down until it's just Junior and Alicia. And we have a final showdown with the mother figure. The pair manage to apprehend her and pull back the hair to find it's Meg Tilly, a.k.a. <laughs> Mary from Psycho 2, who has escaped her insane asylum and come back to the place where her own mother was murdered. Turns out it really is the Crane and Loomis clan that are the villains of the series. That was a line that I took directly from my other pitch. I'm not quite sure what I had against the Cranes and the Loomises when I was 16. But it's quite it's quite a poor family, really. Like They just all get murdered. Oh, wait. Marion Crane, Fraser Crane. Oh. <gasps> oh, oh. All right. All right. So then um, I'm changing my pitch. 
<laughs> Marion goes to visit her brother in Seattle. In Seattle. <laughs> and, uh, oh no, but Frasier has like a really like fancy new bathroom. And obviously he doesn't have like a shower curtain. He's got like a glass uh, <laughs> thing that uh, Norman comes in and tries to kill Marion, but it's glass and he can't quite get through it. So she's, she's safe. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, she's uh, Meg Tilly is taken away by uh, in the police by I, I want a new sheriff to be played by Gary Chalk, who I don't think either of you will know, but he, Gary Chalk played a sheriff. He played a sheriff in um, Freddy vs. Jason, and this was my subtle like, oh, maybe there'll be a crossover somewhere down the line. <laughs> and, uh, he'll, uh, you know, we'll have all three slasher people oh, wow. in one go. <laughs> because um, Gary Chalk's in it. <laughs> because a guy who played it. Like, I mean, just just to give you to give you some idea of the nature of Gary Chalk's career, I've just looked him up. He has. 367 credits. <laughs> so he's a he jobbing does a lot actor. Of voice work. Yes, yeah. Right. So we cut to several months later, and a new sign is being installed at the motel. It's switched on and flashes Bates Motel as it looks like Junior has renovated the place and is open for business once again. As we end with Junior being interviewed by CCH Pounder's character from Psycho 4, and uh, that's the that's the end. I just wanted to throw her in at the end. There's no real good reason for her being there, but I, I just really liked her, I think. That was my. That was what I would have done when I was 15, 16. I'm not, hang on, I'm not quite sure I got what the ending was. What was the conclusion oh. of the film? So oh. I think I was distracted by Gary Chalk. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Uh, who, who among us isn't in most days of our lives? Uh, well, it was Meg Tilly, who'd escaped from the mental oh, asylum. Oh, yeah. Oh, she was, the, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 she was the killer. And uh, then Gary Chalk took her away, and uh, then Junior decides to open the motel again. So is it? Is, it, is there a setup for for a sequel? Yes, with Gary Chalk. <laughs> so the Gary Chalk Adventures. <laughs> no, it's going to be Freddy versus Jason, and uh, maybe Freddy can bring back Norman from Hell. And uh, we'll have to get a new actor to play him, but uh, I think it might work. And, and I bet you'd stick Optimus Prime in there as well, wouldn't you? You make me sick. <laughs> uh, okay, so my pitch. I want to pitch a TV show. Ooh. A sitcom. Oh. And it'll be based in sort of late 50s, early 60s. It, it's not going to be direct continuity with the other things. It's kind of before Marion Crane gets there, I guess. So Norman's there. He's at the motel. His mother uh, like comes out occasionally to kill people and that sort of thing. Uh, but the other character, the other regular characters are going to have... A, I want a guy working at the motel. Does sort mm. of general handiwork, works behind the desk every now and then, that sort of thing. A guy called Curtis. Now, I want him to be a black guy. Uh, and I bear in mind this is 1950s sort of late early 60s so uh, a black guy in that time in in uh, you know Nevada or wherever it's supposed to be he knows how to keep his head down right so he's, he's got a job he's not going to jeopardize it so basically he helps clear up after the after mother's <laughs> murders so he finds like dead people and he's like oh I'm just gonna I'll just make this disappear <laughs> <laughs> And because Norman has no memory of his mother's actions, as in when he is his, being his mother, he's not even aware that any murders are taking place. 
Mm. So like he'll just come down like like oh where did that girl go who's staying in cabin number four and Curtis go oh yeah she went this morning like very early very early mm. um so he's living in this little bubble of ignorance um and he genuinely thinks his mother's still alive so into that we have to introduce the the other regular character who's going to be a young woman who's just sort of travelling through and ends up at the motel um Calvin what's your mum's name <laughs> uh, <laughs> Teresa. Okay, so she's called Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, my mum listens. I, I was about to ask. She <laughs> Hi, Teresa. Hi, mum. She's actually dead. Calvin uh, thinks she listens to it. She, he dresses up in a dress <laughs> and listens to the podcast. <laughs> and goes, oh, I'm so proud of my son. <laughs> <sighs> oh. Okay, so. <laughs> This young woman called Teresa arrives. Now, her and Norman, they have an immediate chemistry. They go on a date, all that. Kind of a bit like the third film with the nun. But every time that little boner pops up, Norman <laughs> switches on his guilt trip. And he, t- <laughs> and he turns into mother. But then, under normal circumstances, he would then kill her, not remember. Curtis would get rid of the body. But then, in a, in a series of kind of comedic japes, uh, every time he tries <laughs> to kill her, something goes wrong. So, you know, like, maybe he tries to stab her and as he lunges at her, he gets caught in the light fitting or something. Uh, or, like, she, she, he's just about to jump out at her and she slams the door shut, not even realising he's there, and, like, he just falls into I, the door. You know, hijinks like I, that. I would have gone in a different direction <laughs> for this, if, if we're making it into a comedy. So, the classic where you've got to be in two places at once. Well, Norman has to keep excusing himself and like, oh, I just need the toilet. And then he like runs off and gets changed. And then he has to... Yeah, yeah. Well, he could do like a Mrs. Doubtfire yeah, kind of thing. Where yeah. He has to keep turning up to events as his mother. Yeah. And everyone thinks she's still alive. Or uh, he saves Piers Brosnan from choking. <laughs> 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 or something. <laughs> so he's trying to kill her and he can't. But every time he kind of fo- is foiled... Uh, in his attempts, he just sort of reverts back to Norman, so he goes back to normal and um, can't remember it. And and she doesn't even know he's trying to kill her. This delay, like eventually he would manage to kill her, but this delay uh, means that Teresa and Curtis kind of, they get to know each other a little bit, they become friends, and so now Curtis decides he's going to protect her, and mm. for the good of everyone, he's just going to protect her. So, at first he just tells her, like, oh, you need to leave, you need to get out of here. But she insists, like, oh, I want to stay like Norman, I'm going to try and have a relationship with Norman. Because when he's Norman, everything's great. So when next time Mother tries to kill her, Curtis actually intervenes and stops him. Norman's still insane, he's, he doesn't realise when he's Mother. Uh, so Teresa, she decides she's going to stay, she's going to look after him with Curtis's help, they're going to help him live his life. So then the rest of the show, the, the continuing show, would be like the ongoing adventures of this little trio, hmm. with Norman getting into all sorts of scrapes with his mother, <laughs> uh, such as, you know, Weekend at Bernie's style. Like, they could go on holiday, and he insists on taking the mother, like, in a wheelchair, and <laughs> they, they have to just, like, put a big sun hat over her face, <laughs> so no one sees. <laughs> and so, the, and it's, so it's basically the other two just keep getting him out of trouble whenever he's getting into these kind of weird situations, and he doesn't even realise it. And then huh. uh, you could have 
you, and you've got this whole long running kind of will they won't they thing between Norman and and Teresa because every time anything gets close he he flips out and turns into my mother so she mm. has to kind of keep him at arm's distance but then they're very attracted to each other so you got this whole thing going on regular characters like the sheriff could play by guy shock yeah. uh, or you could have you could have like um an old colonel who stays at the motel all the time <laughs> If Gary Chalk's a uh, a series regular, maybe you do an episode where his brother from out of town, who's also a sheriff played by Gary Chalk, comes to visit, and they, they like <laughs> interact with a, a line down the middle of the screen that they can't cross. I think. Oh, what? Yeah, one thing definitely have to do is someone like falls for the mother because he only ever like talks to her on the phone or something, and so like it's like an older gentleman from town who comes up like trying to to woo her with flowers and <laughs> and then and Norman like has to try and put him off <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's about it that was that was just sort of a setup yeah. for a sitcom yeah, very uh, good yes yes, I enjoyed that <sighs> well, anyway, yeah, um following on from that my my idea is more of a it's, uh, it could be a sequel or a reboot. A reboot. It's one of those soft reboots. It could be set in the same world. So, a uh, a real estate secretary named... Uh, well, I, I've got named Marion Crane, but it could be called anyone, really. Uh, she She's discussing with her boyfriend, Sam, how they can't afford to get married because of Sam's debts. Uh, then she goes back to work, and this guy drops off £700,000 uh, in cash Ooh. to pay a property. And uh, her boss asks her to take that down to the bank. So uh, Mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, no problem. She just goes driving. She's going to give it to her boyfriend. Getting a bit nervous and what have you. And, you know, all this stuff happens. We we know what happens. We've all seen Psycho. It's basically that. Mm. She's driving on. She she encounters a sudden rainstorm and decides to stop for the night at the the Brighouse Bed and Breakfast. And... uh, (laughs) She asks the <laughs> oh, she asks the proprietor. She she asks the proprietor, uh, one Calvin Dyson, if uh, anywhere's open that serves food. But it's Brickhouse, so everywhere closed at six p.m. And uh, so he invites her to to dinner with him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just having some sandwiches and milk. No, 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 no. We're we're close. No, it's Tuesday, Alan. So that means that tonight is uh, fish and milk. Fish and milk? Uh, okay, so I need to explain this for the listeners. Because I, I'm i from a small town in Yorkshire called Brighouse, where Solis decided to set his pitch and name his hotel proprietor after me. Now, all the way when I was growing up, on Wednesdays, actually, Sol, you remembered it incorrectly, we would go to my, we, we would go to my grandma Barbara's, and she would make my sister chips and me fish in milk, which is, it is a lovely dish. You put the fish in with the milk, and you eat it sort of like cereal, except it's hot and it's with fish instead of cereal. <laughs> and that's... That's the least appetizing way you could have described it. <laughs> It's lovely. It's a lovely dish. <laughs> Fish and uh, milk. Yes. So, yes. so Marion accepts, um, <laughs> and uh, then she she hears an argument between Calvin and, and someone else, sort of shouting at each other about bringing a woman into their house. So then Calvin comes back, and they just eat in the the sort of office. He he tells her about his hobby of uh, doing this film podcast thing. <laughs> and, uh, and his life with James Bond, who is mentally ill, 
and forbids him <laughs> from uh, having a life outside. Um, so he's he's only allowed to make videos about him on YouTube. Um, so uh, returning to her room, Marion sort of like, well, this is all a bit too much. Decides to just return the stolen money, try and you know apologize her way out of things. And uh, she prepares, takes a shower, unaware that Calvin is spying on her through a peephole. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as she's showering, a, a shadowy, silhouetted figure holding a gun spins into frame with some like credits <laughs> around, and uh, and then they shoot her. What a slippery end! <laughs> 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 and then uh, sh- shortly after Calvin discovers the the murder and he's he's shocked and appalled and so he, he meticulously oh mother blood blood <laughs> yeah <laughs> um he he, he takes uh, Marion's corpse all her possessions the car and he he just puts it in the car and sinks it in a river near the near the bed and breakfast there is a canal actually in Brighouse. Oh, canal. There you go. And, uh, <laughs> Dump it in a canal. <laughs> yeah. Like a shopping trolley. <laughs> and uh, a week later, uh, her sister, Marion's sister, Lilla, arrives. She She's looking for her sister with uh, the the boyfriends, and they're all like, what's going on? This this private investigator apparently is looking Played for Played by Gary too. Chalk. <laughs> yes! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> And uh, he, he's looking. He's trying to trace the money for the employer, and uh, he eventually comes across the the Dyson bed and breakfast where uh, Calvin's behaviour <laughs> arouses his suspicions. He, he hears that Marion met with James Bond, so he asks to speak with him, but Calvin refuses. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, so then he, he goes and he, he makes a very clunkily written phone call just to like explain everything that's just happened to the other <laughs> and, uh, and then he, he sneaks back into the, the Dyson home to find James Bond and uh, as he reaches the top of the stairs James Bond just appears and says you look tired you need to take a trip and pushes him down the stairs <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> And then when they don't hear back from him, the private investigator, they go to the local policeman who informs them that Sean Connery's been retired for 10 years. So he couldn't possibly (laughs) be hanging around with Calvin. (laughs) Because he definitely wouldn't do it for free. Uh, So concerned, Lilla, Lila and Sam make their way to the bed and breakfast uh, where they meet Calvin. Sam distracts him by striking up a conversation about Frasier, and he pitches an, <laughs> he pitches an episode where Frasier mishears his dad talking on the phone to a watchmaker about how his ticker hasn't got more than a week left before it gives up. <laughs> so uh, Frasier like goes out of his way to give him the best week of his life because he thinks he's going to die soon. You know, just pampering him and everything like that. Again, don't know if that's a real episode or something you've made up. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, Lilla sneaks up to the house, and then Calvin eventually realises what they're there for, so uh, he knocks out Sam and uh, rushes to the house, and so she sees him coming and uh, tries to hide, going down the steps to the cellar, 
and uh, there she finds James Bond sitting in a chair, um, <clears throat> maybe with a, a cat on his lap or something, who knows. And uh, uh, she turns him round to discover that he is in fact a, a Roger Moore sex doll dressed in an ill-fitting tuxedo that Calvin borrowed from his dad. Uh, and, and she screams, turns around, and there's, there's Calvin just dressed there, uh, fake stubble, uh, wearing wearing another real fitting tuxedo. Wearing no, he's wearing a linen safari suit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's brandishing a replica gold-plated gun from the man with the golden gun, signed by Sean Connery himself, and limited to only thirty thousand copies. <laughs> um, but before he can attack. Uh, Sam, having regained his consciousness, attacks and subdues him. Then we pick up at the local courthouse and a a psychiatrist explains that Calvin had murdered Roger Moore uh, in a sort of misery situation that occurred seven years prior, (laughs) um, feeling, feeling worried that his actions would stop James Bond movies from being made. Calvin then started dressing up as Bond and doing these weird review videos on the internet as a sort of cry <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it explains why if you look at um, any of the press images of Roger Moore from the last seven years uh, you'll see that they actually just kind of look like Calvin uh, in a wig wearing some glasses <laughs> wow I, I think that's the best pitch we've ever had <laughs> on, on, on this show I, I, uh, I, Huh. That's like my life in in a in a narrative. <laughs> Calvin. Huh. How much did you pay for that golden gun? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 300 pounds. <laughs> how limited edition was it? It was uh limited to 3000 pieces, I believe. <laughs> uh, and uh, but it was not signed by Sean Connery because he's not actually in the man with the golden gun. Is, is it well, was it was it Roger Moore then? No, it's not signed by anyone. Was it not? I just uh, no. Okay. Christopher Lee did sign a few, but he had to pay an extra two hundred pounds for that. <laughs> well, if you're Gary Chalk, do get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know which is your favourite Psycho sequel. Yeah, and and, and those of you listening who aren't Gary Chalk as well, if uh, if you want to get in touch, that's in your fine opinion. too. <laughs> Come back to us when you've got three hundred eighty-six credits. <laughs> Well then, every film fan and his mother has seen Psycho, so get yourself to facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast and have a civilised discussion with us. Calvin is ready to defend anything you may want to question. And if you want to see why we keep making jokes about Calvin being obsessed with James Bond, then go to YouTube and search for Calvin Dyson and you can see the full extent of his infatuation. Join us again next week when we start a run of space-based episodes that will begin with Guardians of the Galaxy. In the future, if you ever need a podcast, come by. I can't say for sure what you'll find, but it is what makes the world go round.